Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all that, getting an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to get involved in the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www. BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and you'll hear the live audio playing there. We should also be at BB2Me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening and the live stream should be playing there. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free radio app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon, and you can listen to the program live, even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an awakening radio program with the live stream or the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, you can type in time for an awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's time for an awakening radio program. The fan page on Facebook and time for an awakening media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on time for an awakening media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times and share with your friends. Also check out that time for an awakening marketplace in our partnership with the BB to me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here on this Sunday edition Uh, of Time for an Awakening, the June 11th edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, activist, organizer, and secretary general of the International Committee of the Pan-African Federalist Movement, Brother Jumei Nyong'o Faye, will be joining us. We'll be talking about Senegal, the situation going on there, other African countries that are are, uh, going through related uh, situations, and we'll talk about this with our guests this evening and uh, talk about things surrounding it, how it relates not only to the continent, but to brothers and sisters in the diaspora. All of that will be part of the conversation this evening with our guests. And you can join the conversation, too, by dialing 215-490-9832 with a question or comment. 
We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not where you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people 
for they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's, <clears throat> it's 712 here on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our guest this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Ellie. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. You know, to, today, I don't know if all in the listening audience and, and Brother Faye um, would know, today is the festival, Adunde Festival. It's uh, Philadelphia African-Americans' um, uh, form, formation to try to bring culture and commerce together, right? And for those who are use culture as a part of our uh, identity formation, a part of our political um, giving our political framework and how do we deal with being in this environment um, it's also an opportunity for us to get together and <clears throat> I was out there I was out there in the sun you know with with the folks for a minute and you know I love the heat Elliot so it, it was it was it was it was a good thing to see I, I, I have an observation but I'm not going to share it you know, I'm I'm glad that we're we have an opportunity to get together, but one day I'm going to ex, uh, explore my uh, what I see and what we could um, do in using culture and commerce to do build our political power um, formation in Philadelphia. But I'm glad that we're talking about um, synagogue because we can be able to see culture and commerce and youth um, activity and activism engage engaged in a, in a moment. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, Richard, uh, <clears throat> we, uh, we see a lot of reports on the television on what's going on on the continent. And, uh, they show a lot of unrest in different areas, but we always got to look deeper because we know that this propaganda here in this country and other countries, and especially when it surrounds and deals with our people, uh, our guest this evening is going to let us know things going on in Senegal and other countries on the continent where systematic change is being desired by the people there. We're going to talk about why, what's going on. We're going to go behind the curtain, so to speak, and find out exactly what's happening there. Our guest this evening, activist, organizer, Secretary General of the International Committee, of the Pan-Africanist Federalist Movement, Brother Jumei Anyongo Fay is with us in conversation. Brother Jumei, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, my brother. Can you hear me well? I hear you loud and clear. Yes, thank you Glad very much. Your greetings. Glad to have you on time I for Awakening. That I, <clears throat> I hope that you and families are enjoying peace and good health. I hope that your days are ending in in a very wonderful way. And uh, as we say in Senegal, in the Serer Nation, uh, 
I am gonna be in peace only if I know that you are in peace. Mm. <laughs> you know, uh, when we salute somebody, we say, "Nafio, jamsom jamo." How are you doing? I am in peace if you are in peace. <laughs> now, when we talk about Ubuntu, it's really the quintessential, you know, way of expression of it. And that if you're not in peace, means that I am not. And this is why we keep asking you. You go to a senator or to a senator or Pular or you know, when people ask you how are you doing, they never ask you once. They ask you at least five, ten times to make you comfortable enough to know that they're really interested in know how you feel. So I want to make sure that you and families are well. And I want to thank you, Brother Elliot, for reaching out to me. You know, wanting to know what is happening in the motherland is the duty of every African, every black person, wherever they may say, maybe in the in the world or in the universe, for that part. Whether you are a Dalit in India or a Maori in you know, in, in in Australia, how, you know, the motherland is doing reflects on how you are treated in the world. So I hope that you guys are doing well, and I'm really happy to be oh. here with you to have a conversation, you know, uh, share my knowledge, you know, which is, you know, uh, what knowledge is always, you know, uh, with you and your listeners, whom I want to salute and thank for tuning into your program, uh, awakening is fundamental. A people that is not awakened will always remain in chain. <laughs> Brother Jumei, thanks for that uh, kind introduction. I want to thank you for being on the program, Time for an Awakening, with myself and Brother Richard. Thank you. Brother, J- uh, Brother Jumei, before we get started talking about the situation in Senegal and, and some of the other uh, uh, French uh, francophone, I guess they want to use that term, countries. Uh, let's talk about uh, the Pan Africanist Federalist Movement. Um, I saw on the site that uh, a uh, call was made and the uh, meeting was held on February 26, 2015 uh, in Ghana. Uh, the Senegalese uh, Pan Africanist made the call. And uh, over 600 brothers and uh, folks came from around 50 different countries on the continent and Absolutely. in the diaspora. Uh, talk a Absolutely. little bit. Talk a little bit about the movement and uh, and your involvement before we kind of get started on some of the things going on politically. Thank you, brother Elliot. Uh, look, uh, we Africans we believe that those who are gone physically are still with us. And we call them before we even know about, you know, before our culture get uh, rate. Let me just put it that way. You know, we had what we called for example, Pangol. Pangol means a saint in our culture. Someone who has been significant who had done significant contribution in life, and who is gone on the other side, but we still, you know, uh, consider them to be here, and we, you know, we set spaces where we could go and call for their help when we are in difficulties. That's Pangol. So Marcus Garvey is a Pangol as far as I'm concerned. Kwame Kroma is a Pangol. You know, uh, and many others, you know, Del Vessel, Denmark, uh, 
W.E.D. Boy, you know, you know, all of them are pangos. I was actually doing research on a book called The Berlin uh, Traps in at the Princeton Library, a Firestone Public Library. And the book, the table, like I said, the title of the book was uh, the the Berlin Traps, because what happened is that uh, many academics, Western academics, like Jeffrey Sachs, like you know Paul Collier, like you know Calderisi, like many others actually, were talking about the African crisis. This is the problem with Africa. What's wrong with Africa? What are the African traps? And talking about a lot of nonsense, you know, nonsense. Like, for example, Africa is overpopulated. Like Africa, you know, there is no democracy. You know, this is why it's in developed. This is Africa, this Africa, that. And I went uh, to that uh, at Princeton. I went to the library. I mean, I was working on a book to show them that their ignorance and arrogance you know, ignorance and arrogance is what led them to the conclusion that they have arrived at. The problem of Africa is not underpopulation. No, no, overpopulation. The problem of Africa is not democracy. Because in order to have democracy, you have to have sovereignty. And none of the African countries that I know have sovereignty. Meaning the capacity to choose your policy and implement them, regardless of what the rest of the world think. In order to have power, power, because power, democracy is the power of the people. If you don't have sovereignty, then you don't have power. You know. So uh, while I was doing research for this book, someone told me, look, you know, and this is the, the, the Firestone Library. I don't know if you know the history of the library, the Firestone. Uh, Marcus Guyway was given land in Liberia in order to do his community there. But some people intervened, and Marcus Garvey, that land that was given to him was given to Firestone, who did there, all the tire Firestone, uh, the, the, the plastic plants and all of that, that's where they were. So the money coming from that uh, plantation is what actually helped to build the biggest library in Princeton University, and this is where I was sitting. Someone like, told me that, look, you are writing this book, and you expect that when you publish it, people will come among the hundreds of thousands of books in Africa here and find out the message that you're trying to send, and you hope that they will implement what you're trying to do. Why don't you try to do what you, what you want other people to do? You are enlightened enough to, 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 to know this. Why don't you put it in practice and see if what you think is really what is real? And... Uh, uh, there, I said, oh, my God, gee, Mark, are you talking to me, you know? And I, um, first thing I did was to say, okay, what do I do to do first? I drafted the call for the first Pan-African Federalist Congress. And I talked to my friend, a friend of mine, who is, his name is Mama Dundoy, who was a, a former fierce uh, trade unionist in Senegal, a teacher, minister of education later. You know, and he told me, look, this is a great idea, but write for me a concept so that I could bring it to people in, say, uh, the Pan-Africanists who are in Senegal, former companions of uh, Sheikh Hunter Job and others, you know. Uh, then uh, I wrote the concept of the Congress, and then 
on February 26, 2015, we met in Dakar, and then we officially launched the call. The launching of the call signified that we wanted to test, like if you want to be a candidate, you have to do a test to see if your candidacy is going to be valid, really, if it's a, it's a, if it's a, if it's a valid candidature, a candid- candidacy, you know, a credible candidacy. So we launched the call and we got a lot of responses, a lot of responses. And, uh, and this is when we created the International Preparatory, International Preparatory Initiating Committee. You know, and that one prepared for what we called the pre-first Pan-African Federal Congress, which was held in Accra in, nine, in 2018, you know, December uh, 5th to December 13th. Actually, uh, celebrating at the same time the 60th anniversary of the All African People's uh, uh, Conference, organized by Kwame Nkrumah, and we organized it. More than 800 people were there. Really, you know uh, the numbers. You know, but more than more than 60 countries. People coming from all over the world, the U.S., all over the world. You know, and that's where we launched that call, you know, official way and get our declaration, the Accra Declaration. And the call was to, you know, to ask people in their countries, organizations particularly, we don't want you to leave your organization. We want your organization, since its main focus is not the unification of the African state, which is the gateway to the liberation of black people. If you're doing something, your organization is doing something, but it's not mainly focused on African unity, African political unity, we want your organization to become a member of this coalition. Keep doing what you're doing, but at least delegate one or two people to be your representative of this coalition. This is why we created the National uh, uh, Coordinating Committees for the creation of the Pan-African Federalist Movement Coalition. You know, Now, I'm going to come back a little bit on that, a little bit in terms of Pan-African Federalism and not Pan-Africanism. Uh, the uh, we created those. I mean, we launched those in, in in Accra, and now we have you know uh, more than you know uh, probably close to sixty national committees being created around the world, and these committees, these national committees for the creation of coalition, are the one that will have to mutate into national preparatory committee for the Congress, you know, because we don't want you know, a bunch of enlightened intellectuals, a bunch of people who think that they are the biggest academics in the world come and lecture us about African unity. We want African, you know, activists, people representing the people in their country who want to contribute to African unity, acceleration of African unity, to come together and decide on which way forward to campaign for the acceleration of this unity. This unity that's much happened by the end of this decade of the 2020s, because if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't happen, the new scramble for Africa will find, uh, will come to turn. And then you will have Africa divided in a Sino-Africa, you know, uh, Franco-Africa, Polo-Africa, whatever. And it's going to be a recolonization by the debt, which is the way that actually Native Americans lost most of, many of their land, you know, in this country. So... That's what uh, that's what is the the history anyway. But when we talk about Pan African federalism, is different from Pan Africanism. Very very important for people to understand this. We are not a Pan African 
African movement. We are a pan-African, no, we are a continental federalist movement, an African continental federalist movement with a pan-African reach. A pan-African reach, that's the aspect. Meaning, we want to unite all the countries on the continent of Africa. And those in the Caribbean island where the majority is black. I mean black. African, we call them Africans of the blood. A black person for us, like Azima, Ali Mazri say, is a black person, is an African of the blood. All the countries where the majority of the citizens are Africans of the blood, meaning black people, we want to pull them into this union, you know, which is, for example, Haiti, which is, for example, Jamaica, Barbados, and others, because we want to create the empire on which the sun never set, like Marcus Garvey had predicted, you know. And then that, see, uh, we are, therefore, a federalist movement with a pan-African reach. We don't want Saudi Arabia to become, or the, you know, or any other Arab countries, even though Arabs will be members of the Union in Morocco and others. But any African country, any African country that is mostly populated by black people, we want them to be part of. The other thing that we also say is that in the U.S. you have about 47 million people of African descent. Those people should have an unfettered access to getting a passport of these United African states. And and not only that, they should have their senators and their representatives at the legislative body of the Congress of the United African States. On the top, in Brazil, you have 100 million Africans hmm. who are there. You know, these people must be represented. Europe, you know, same way. You know, because we don't want the nonsense of the sixth region which is created as a bogus element by the, Afri- by the African Union and really doesn't give any kind of power to the diaspora, the African diaspora. And once you get your passport, you are, we don't want you to leave, to, 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 to leave the United States. You, your parents paid by their blood, their sweats, their tears, and their dehumanization to get a portion of this country. So it belongs to you too. But Africa, you haven't, you know, you you have never reneged your 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 part in Africa. So it will belong to the federal government to find your land free of charge for you to settle wherever you want. And there is this idea that we're toying with that is called the uh, the, the 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 cultural you know, cultural districts, the cultural district. For example, having a Malcolm X cultural district like a Marcus Garvey cultural district, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, some other district, in Asantwa cultural district or whatever. You know, these districts, because if you're looking at the history of, for example, after the independence of Gambia, Ghana, many African-Americans went to Ghana, but the process of getting together had caused a lot of difficulties. Because, you know, 400 years, yes, we are, have the same fundamental humanism as the foundation of our culture as people of African descent. But there are changes, even just the language, you know, just the language is a change. So creating, let's say, a Marcus Garvey district next to, let's say, a, a, a city like Chess, close, where the people could live in their culture, and but interact with the African and build, give them another 50, 100 years 
in order for Africa to repair itself. So these people could become one culture, influence each other, and we become one African culture, but not rush it. Culture, you don't rush it, people. This is the identity of the people. However way they got it, ill or, 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 or devilish, you know, it's an identity. So we believe that it's, we need to think about all these things because the idea is repression. So the Pan-African Federalist Movement, strategic goal, meaning the ultimate goal of the Pan-African Federalist Movement, is the creation of the United African States, meaning putting into the hands of African people a power, a power that will be respected in the world and impose the respect of black people around the world. That is the last goal of the Pan-African Federalist Movement. Once the United African States are born, we dissolve this movement. Now, the difference between the Pan-African Federalist Movement and the Pan-African Movement is that the strategical goal, the ultimate goal of Pan-Africanism is the African Renaissance, the restoration of African dignity, the restoration of African know-how and liberty and everything, respect around the world. The ultimate goal of Pan-Africanism, there have been many branches of the Pan-African movement, the reparation movement, the negative movement, the black power movement, the Rastafarian movement, even, you know, the AME church and all of those, Pan-Africanism, you know, there have been many different, actually even names for it, because initially it was called the, the, the colored people, no, no, the Negro Convention. You know, Richard Allen's in Philadelphia, 1835. It's the Negro Convention that they convened. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, you know, and then later on, you know, when Negro get mixed with uh, colored, you know, after Philadelphia, after, Pennsylvania, uh, what do you call it, uh, in Virginia passed a law saying that once you are a colored person, you cannot be, you have to have a pass. You know, everyone and all of that, the, you know, then the name changed into colored people because all colored people were treated the same way. It's only in the 1800s, 18, end of the 1800s, that the name Pan-African started to you know, appear because intellectuals here realized that their condition is exactly the same way, same condition than black people somewhere else in Africa or somewhere in the Caribbean. So this is why it became Pan-Africa, you know, Anyone whose motherland who is identified with Africa, it became a pan-African movement. So its ultimate goal or strategic goal goal is indeed the African Renaissance, the return of African power, dignity, sovereignty, in prosperity and everything. That's what I could see. I guess I hope I wasn't too long. <laughs> no, sir. I'm, I'm glad you kind of go ahead. Go ahead. I have to say, say this. Um, Baba Jacob Corelli ca- calls it the Winnie Masu, the repetition of the birth, um, <laughs> the African Renaissance. I just wanted to interject that. Uh, yes. <clears throat> Brother Jumai, uh, uh, Jumai, I'm sorry. Before we, um, before I kind of introduce and get you to introduce the political situation going on in Senegal, let, let me do this for our listening audience. Our guest this evening, activist organizer and secretary general of the International Committee of the Pan-Africanist Federalist Movement, Brother Jumei Nyong'o Faye is with us in conversation, talking about the political situation in Senegal and several other countries on the continent. Uh, Brother Jumei, I was reading some of the information that you sent me, mm-hmm. and 
you state here, and I'll read this, this sentence for the listening audience. What's happening in Senegal, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Central African Republic is the manifestation of a desire for systematic change by African people. Mm-hmm. Now, let me, what I want to do is take those four countries that you mentioned, and I know you're going to expand the conversation, because if you look at uh, American press, they talk about how stable uh, several democracies were, and Senegal was one of them. But their idea of stability might be different than how we see stability. Let me read this for our listening audience and then get you to break into the political situation there. Senegal, according to statistics, has a 33% poverty rate nationwide, and and it's higher in rural areas. Burkina Faso is 40% people living below the poverty line. Mali, 50% of the people living below the poverty line. And Central African Republic is over 60% of our people living below the poverty line. But great exports come out of those four countries. Central African Republic, diamonds, cotton, coffee comes out of Mali. Gold is a huge export. Senegal with gold, cotton, zinc, and phosphate. And also Burkina Faso with the same things. So we see valuable resources that are coming out of the countries, but the people living below the poverty line is something wrong with that, and we see our people now really starting to rise up. Talk about these political situations from your perspective and give our listening audience a perspective on what's going on. You know, my brother uh, and sisters who are listening, colonialism, uh, Colonialism is a form of capitalism. Colonialism is a form of capitalism in a certain way. It's the search for surplus value and profit. People call profits many days. It's different a little bit if you go for an economist. The search for profit is what is at the base of colonialism. Colonialism didn't start with armies. It started with business people going to Africa, searching for a way to get raw materials or others, you know, in order to have their industries run. The industries of the Industrial Revolution, which were all, like Jean-Baptiste say in the Cornell, all created the Industrial Revolution came up. This call may be recorded or transcribed. Who were in the civil servants. All the civil servants who were serving colonialism become all of a sudden serving the new country that is supposed to be independent. But what they did was clear. They said, look, these countries, because before when independence was about to come, uh, Senghor and Modibo Keita wanted to create what they called the Mali you know, Federation. Mali Federation uh, is not Sudan because the Present-day Mali that you know is used to be called uh, called Western Sudan, okay. So they took Mali. You know, they, they took. They wanted to resuscitate the Mali Empire by all the former French colonies in West Africa will become one country and will form 
the Mali Federation. You know, Bartolome Boganda did the same thing in the Central African, former Central African, you know, colonies, you know, or French and Belgium colonies. And he wanted to create the Republic of Central Africa. His country at the time was Ubangishari, you know. So when that failed, he gave Ubangishari, he changed the name of Ubangishari into the Central Africa. Now, uh, when they tried to do that, France realized that these are going to be viable countries that could compete with France. And they said, no, we got to have to stop that. You know, so they put forth people like Ufwet Bwani to create the Conseil de l'Entente in our side. On the Central Africa, they killed, you know, uh, Bartolome Boganda, you know, supposedly crashed uh, airplane or whatever crash, you know. And uh, they destroyed these federations, you know, because the purpose was to create non-viable countries that will always need France or England in order to survive. The British, you know, and the Belgians were a little bit different in a way. They created what they call federalism, you know, Nigeria. They took the, the, the House of Fulani and gave them an oversize compared to the, to, to, to the Yoruba and the Igbo. And most of the intellectual class was in the Igbo and uh, Yoruba a little bit, intellectuals, you know, who knew how to. So they created these three warring groups, you know, uh, and the purpose there was to say, okay, you know, this is a, a country that can be made viable, but we have to destroy its social capital, <laughs> create an instability in such a way that there will not be peace for economic development. And therefore, if there is no economic development, the state will not be able to survive on its own because there will not be you know, taxes, enough taxes, you know, the moment the industry is built, enough taxes for the state to be able to survive. So they created, they reduced the social capital of Nigeria to almost zero because development is a product of the resources that you have on the ground, meaning personal uh, uh, individual uh, personal resources you know and uh, natural resources times the social capital of the country if one of the element of the multiplication is close to zero the product will end up being almost zero that's what they did in nigeria that's what they did in ethiopia in a way in a way that's what they did actually in the democratic republic of congo by creating someone like chombe you know to kill lumumba who was actually all about developing the social capital of his country in order to make that country's God only, you know, no one has no idea how much resources that country have. It's still now despised the world they have. You know, and of course the U.S. was building its uh, nuclear bomb. There was uranium there, and, you know, they worked with uh, with, with the Belgium to kill Lumumba. So, so the product, so what I'm saying in my article, my brother, is that all of these countries have something in common. You know, they are non-viable, meaning that they cannot serve their citizens. They cannot deliver the promises of independence. They cannot, they depend on outside, you know, forces like the IMF, like the World Bank, like the former colonizers, in order to kind of like for to get their budgetary ends meet, you know, so at the end, they, this is what neocolonialism is about. It's not about like going and saying France out. No, it's about 
transforming the state that we have in viable entity. And this is, if you look at history, and Kwame Nkrumah saw this, when Americans got independent in 1783 with the Paris Treaty, the first thing that they, are, two or three years, they realized that these are going to be neo-colonies of Britain, of, of the United Kingdom, or, or the Great Britain. Yes. You know, they said, oh, no, we cannot continue this, because there were still military bases of England in New York, there were military bases, in, and we all know about the Jay Treaty, the treaty, the shame treaty, a neo-colonial treaty, you know. So they said, unless we unite and form a strong union where the weak countries, where because countries, all these, these countries cannot manage all the portion of their sovereignty. We have to create a federal government and take away these portions of sovereignty that are here too heavy, like creating money, like military, like others, and give them a federal government to manage. And the other portion that local state can manage, that they manage them by themselves. You know, if we do that, then this country... And of course, Benjamin, what do you call it? Um, uh, Alexander Hamilton, the real founder of the United States, contrary to what people believe, you know, and James Madison get into work. You know, Knox, who was very close to Washington, you know, they convinced him and told him, look... They convinced him and told him, look, you know, George Washington, if you don't support us, what you fought for will go to naught. And this is how, you know, he supported them. And this is how the 1787 Constitutional Convention was convened in Philadelphia. And this is how the new constitution, instead of the Articles of Confederacy, was, was, was created. And, 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 and they went in. So Kwame Nkrumah saw that, know that history. You know, and actually read also Marcus Garvey, who is the first Pan-African Federalist in history. Because he, in 1920 already, one of the main, main requirements to be a member of the NIA was to believe in African unity. So he came, uh, Kwame Nkrumah came to this uh, head of state and told them, look, independence will mean nothing if we don't unite. Because these states, the way that they are set are not viable. And in 1963, they met, you know, uh, there was uh, what we call the uh, the Casablanca, what, what you call it, the Monrovia group, you know, uh, there was the Brazzaville group, there was the quote-unquote uh, Casablanca group, which some intellectuals, some academics say that this was a group for unity, that's false, that's not true. The Casablanca group was not for unity. It was only for accelerating and facilitating the independence of Algeria. That's basically. And they used Kwame Nkrumah, you know, paid him lip service and signed all these things for African unity when, in fact, they didn't believe it. Because in, 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 in Addis Ababa, May 25, 1963, they voted against him, including Nasser, including Mohammed Singh, including Burkiba. They were laughing at him, you know. Only the Secretary Modibo Keita and uh, you know uh, the the Ugandan president at the time voted for him with him, you know. So you know Kwame Nkrumah was defeated and was wanting to leave, and then you know they convinced him to come back. But, so that vision is what the Pan African Fellows Movement want to achieve. Because the problem of this state, my brother, is the non-viability. A non-viable state is confronted with what we call the. You know, the, the, the demographic dividend, meaning 
the uh, the, 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 the the wave of uh, new uh, working hand that came into the job market. If a country cannot utilize it, it becomes source, especially if it's the youth, it becomes source of instability. And all of the problems that you're seeing in these countries, the instability in Senegal today, the terrorism in Mali and all of that, it's youth that cannot be offered opportunity for self-betterment. That is falling into the hands of these terrorists, falling into the hands of some politicians who use them and, 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 and make them common forders of their own of their own desire. So the only solution, you know, is a systemic change. A systemic change ending neocolonialism through reunification of our African state, making them viable. Africa can have six Californias in terms of the power of this economy, Nigeria, Congo, Egypt, Ethiopia, meaning you, you, you only name uh, the Democratic Republic of South Africa. Africa can have six Californias with that kind of power. Africa United, there will not be an unemployed black person in America or in Brazil or anywhere because we need you. Africa needs you. Africa needs to be populated. And that's what exactly is the the, the, the movement. We, we, you know, there is not, it's not a problem of democracy. It is not a problem of election. The Youth are frustrated because they don't have opportunity for self-betterment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard, let me get you. Richard? You know, as, as I was listening to you, um, you know, and, I'm, I'm, and, and I wanted to, um, as we were looking at, and you gave the historical and the structural, um, you know, con- context of why, what we might be seeing, right, on the ground mm-hmm. in Senegal as far as, one, let me um, confirm confirm a point. Is um, is the population size in Senegal um, primarily a youthful population? I heard I heard seventy. Absolutely, you know. absolutely. It is at least like the seventy. Basically, the whole continent, the average in Africa is about seventy percent youth. Mm. Seventy percent youth. And and, and those and, those those unemployment rate that you're talking about, those are gains that 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 falls. You know, it is not. It's more than 50% of the youth that is unemployed. Oh, wow. Okay. More than that. And the population, you have what we call semi, semi-employment, semi meaning someone selling cola nuts mm-hmm. on the street, you know, is considered as employed. How, how could you do that? You know, a job that cannot provide you with the need, with what you have to survive is not really a job. Right. You know, you know. And that's the situation that we are in. And you also also mentioned, and Elliot, um, I think he has more um, data information on it, as as far as Senegal relationship with um, France, because that that is a big driver, I guess, for where, correct me if I'm wrong, where youth are mobilizing around. And when you talk about extraction, the amount of the the dollars or or CFA that is taken out of Senegal and gone to France, um, um, from a political education perspective, are a lot of youth aware of that, and they are reacting to you know to France wanting the colon the colonists out of France because of they're very much aware of that extraction as it relates to the amount of not just resources, but the 
the dollars that go out of Senegal and go to France directly. Absolutely. Are they aware of that? Oh, uh, the youth, uh, I'm not exactly, I haven't done really a study, you know, as an academic. Sometimes we don't say things that we are not 100 mm. you know, at least 75 percent sure. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I haven't done really the research necessary to know, but there's one thing that is clear. Huh? Somehow, I don't know if it's about the money, you know, or the siphoning of the surplus value of Senegal, because it's not really the dollar; it's the surplus value. The surplus value may be in euro, maybe in dollars, maybe in Chinese money or whatever you want to call it, in yuan and all that stuff. It's the surplus value that is not staying home in order to create jobs. That is the issue of neocolonialism. And the young people now realize that it is colonialism, neocolonialism, it is the siphoning of our surplus value, national economic surplus value, that is actually at the source of our problems. You know, some of them think that it's the safer when it's not really the safer at all. You know, it is the surplus value, meaning the production, you know, what is the extra in the production that is not consumed? Where is it going? Is it going as accumulation for capital? Where it is a capital, you know, you know, concentrated in the hands of the state, like the China that they do? For example, or where is the capital concentrated in the hands of individual? That is not staying there at all. It's going away and creating more and more poverty. Like you know, you you cultivating your field. At the end, you have rice, you know, and the person come and take all the rice except what could keep you alive until next year for you to produce rice for them. You know, you can't develop. You can't get. You can't be better off. And any mouth that you add become a problem because they don't change usually, you know, the, 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 the amount of rice that they allow you to keep with you, you know. Capital is hungry of for profit. And this is what is the big, uh, the big problem. Is the youth aware? Uh, I think that they know that there is some sort of, you know, uh, friends, it has something to do with it. And this is why in my article I say they are, here, they are hungry for a systemic change. They may not know what system they want, you know. They may not know what system they want. They may not have uh, the, the finesse to know it's neocolonialism, but they know that the system as it is now is not working for them. Well, you know, it's, it's, and if I may, Elliot, mm-hmm. um, sure. and, you know, it, it, uh, one thing we see that um, from the political party perspective as far as the election, right, we, we see that the, um, or at least, what is presented to us that is the name Sanko, who is mm-hmm. under uh, under arrest, uh, and that the youth support and he has aspiration for running um, mm-hmm. for, for as politics president. as president, and mm-hmm. that um, Sale um, Mackey um, is looking to main wanted want to um, go beyond what's the constitutional term of that. Mm-hmm. Is this? Um, even if, you know, they may not be aware of the systemic, you know, of neocolonialism, is there, is this around Sanko, the politics around him, which I, you know, which is told to us that this is a reaction to what the government is doing so that possibly Mackey could be able to change the constitution and run an extra term. Is, is it about, are they galvanizing around 
um, getting political control. That's what I, I guess. What I, I, I would I would say that there is uh, sometimes uh, a little bit of a confusion. Mm-hmm. You see, whether Marcus will run for a third term or not, hmm, that is really the that's not that's not the quintessential reason why the youth is going out. Mm-hmm. It's because you know. In history, Makisal has proven that whenever he has a contender who might be a threat for him for his re-election, he instrumentalizes the justice system to put them aside. He's done the same thing with Khalifa Sal, Karim Wad, and he wants to do the same thing for Usman Sonko. You know, he wants to find a way because he has really good chances, you know, to win the election, especially if you combine the excitement of the youth that he has now, you know, and the fact that Senegalese don't want a president with a third term. So even if he cannot win on the first round, he has a good chance, like him, Makisal, that's how he got to power, you know. He has a good chance to win on the second round, you know, where it's going to be the one with the highest number in the opposition against him if he runs for a third term. See, there were uh, in June of 2000, you know, uh, what do you call it, 2012, June the 23rd. People came out of the street in Dakar, you know, Nyas, Yusundur, and all of that stuff. There were a bloody day in Dakar, you know, one or two days, you know, but that was gone when the Supreme Court decided that uh, what can run, you know, Makisal. People like Makisal said, okay, you know, that's their decision. I'm going to go and beat him, you know. The other people stayed in Dakar and, you know, were playing games and all of that stuff. And Makisal went and campaigned. And he happened because he decided to go and campaign. He got the better number. So if today Makisal, even if he runs on a third term, you know, was not jeopardizing the possibility of Sonko to be a candidate, you may see, you know, uh, uh, social disturbances but they will not last and they will not be as profound as you have. Now, added to that also, you have to add the frustration of the youth. You know, Senegal is sitting on like, you know, on, on a bomb, which is the dissatisfied, hopeless youth. You know, the lumpen proletariat added to that, banditism and all of that. You have to, we are on the, sitting on that, you know. So any excuse that the youth has to express this frustration, okay. you know, any exp- any opportunity is used to the max, you know. So the reactions are not only just for Sonko, but they are the expression of the youth, frustration because of hopelessness, because of the non-viability of the Senegalese state, you know. The same thing, you know, that youth, you know, that's youth, if Sonko was become to become president in five years, 10 years, unless Senegal is unburdened, unburdened from uh, the, the, the weight of sovereignty on some of the portion that it has no power, no capacity, no resources to manage, we will return to the same. It will be like a Sisyphus, you know, uh, scene, you know. That's why, they, you know, uh, we have to look at it in a very, very more systemic way than on a superficial yeah, you know, the, this, it's just the frustration of the youth that is that. If the youth was not frustrated, if the demographic dividend, if opportunities existed, you will not see people going out like this. 
you know, at least I believe personally. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I'll turn it back over to you, Elliot. Um, yeah, and because you, um, um, brother Faye, you you kind of um, touched with my next question was going to be if Sanko um, did win, would that change the relationship of Senegal in relationship to France and the type of structure, systemic structure France has over Senegal, which is creating that that kind of um, um, situation. You know, Sanko, what he can do at best was what Sankara did in Burkina Faso at best. You know, reduce, you know, corruption. Reduce corruption. You know, my brother, you know, my brothers, the thing with neocolonialism is that we only have crumbs. Our governing bodies only have crumbs left behind. Hmm. To, ma- to manage. Whether it is politically or economically, financially, we have only comes to manage. Okay? All the battle is over who will manage these crumbs. Mm-hmm. Wow. Instead of, instead of thinking about the, the cake itself, which belongs to us, you know, all this is a reform of the neocolonialist system. And whether it's Sonko in power or somebody else in power, it won't change fundamentally the relationship between Senegal and France. The only thing that could change the relationship between Senegal and France is if there was a federal government of the African people, by the African people, and for the African people, who said, oh, Senegal, you know what? Your burden, we're going to lift 75% of it and mutualize its management with the management of the other burdening portion of the sovereignty of Guinea, Mali, Ghana, uh, in Somalia, Ethiopia, South Africa, and all of that. And we will not only be able to have our currency, because that's one thing. A country without their own currency that is accepted throughout the world cannot pay it that to, to, to that currency. That means you cannot really have financial policies. The U.S., when there is a lot of unemployment, you know, the U.S. pump dollars into the market. You know, so people and create business, employment is, you know, reduced. If there is inflation, the government, you know, buy back, you know, buy back all of that money and put it back, you know, so that there is less cash, fiat currency on the market. Our countries can't do that. You know, you all know when Zimbabwe was, you know, uh, in problems, you know, the currency, they printed more currency, then, then you have to have like, more, like, like, like a pickup truck to get some coffee with, uh, filled with bills. You know, the currency, as long as it's not accepted in the international market for paying that and buying product on the international market, it is a source of impoverishment, you know. So there are all of these elements that the Pan-African Federalist Movement, in fact, what we want to do is on our Congress, we want to identify these portions of sovereignty that are really causing problems to African states and these are the portions that the federal government will be in charge of managing, you know. And you will know that that federal government, one thing, you know, I just to give you a little bit of economic background here. Right now, African countries, Standard & Poor's and others, you know, in order for you to loan money, to, 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 to loan, to get a loan in the international market, you know, your country rating affect how much uh, what you could borrow, at what interest rate you could borrow. 
even if you are a business person by base in the country, if your country rated minus B minus, you cannot borrow for less than 10, 12% on the international market if you're lucky. Okay? So you know, money is too expensive. And right now, you have like globalization. The markets are open. Chinese products are filled in Dakar, in Ghana, Ghana in Accra, and all of that stuff. You can't compete with these people because they are borrowing at less than 23%. In the end, what the United African State will do is to take that interest, that, that rating, from a B to a, at least a double or a triple A, which means that the country, all the debt that these countries have, billions of dollars could be renegotiated, you know, at a much lower rate, you know, at least take 10% off points or points on there. And also it could be paid in a currency that will be a, an African currency, which we will have them to accept because in order to buy our raw material, we're going to have to buy it in our currencies. Those are the added values that a United African state could do that in terms of the systemic solution of neocolonialism, the systemic uprooting of neocolonialism for a sovereign, because the only thing that can uh, contain the uh, only system of, in terms of a revolution you know, the only systemic change possible is between neocolonialism and full sovereignty. Anything else is reformation of this neocolonial system. Mm. Anything we're, else. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, you can join the conversation. I see some calls been up here since we basically started, so we'll get to them. And you can join this conversation by dialing 215-490-9832 with a question or comment. That's 490 32, our guest this evening, activist, organizer, and general secretary of the International Committee of the Pan-Africanist Federalist Movement, Brother Jome Anuga Fe. We'll be right back. For an awakening, time for an awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21. 
215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. becomes unruly called Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today. 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing. The roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly called Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family, to join your interconnected commit to you black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. I am an African. The death of my brother is also my death. Let me put this question to you again, because many foolish black middle classes and many foolish people who are eating well think that they can sit in America and watch this country destroy the African continents and watch this country destroy African Caribbeans and watch this country destroy Africans in Central and South America and think that these same people who destroy Africans abroad will not be the same people who will destroy them in America. There are fools in this, this country who try to claim that they are not Africans, who claim that they do not see color, as if they're not seeing color makes any difference in the world. Simply because you don't see color doesn't mean somebody does not see you as color, and that's the issue. And you think then that you can sit in this country while this same nation and these same people that you sleep with and marry and love and so forth can go out and destroy African people and not think those people do not see you as African. Even though you choose not to see yourself as African, you'd better think again. You're out of your minds and you're headed for death. You must understand that. Hide behind it. I'm an American. Ladies and gentlemen, the death and destruction of black people will follow those kind of abstractions.
probably the next five or ten years will indicate whether or not the black man can survive. Our struggle for survival is a very real struggle. And the white man has prepared genocide for black people. Unemployment, the black man is no longer necessary. Unemployment is going to be a, a way of life for black people. We are going to face increasing dangers and problems as the days pass. And we're totally unequipped as black people to deal with them. We're a part of a slave culture. We have no preparation. We have no black institutions capable of dealing with white racist institutions designed to serve only white people. We must deal with the problem that confronts black people by building black institutions, by understanding that only a separatist position is a viable position for black people. Any organization or any leader in America who today advocates integration is a foe and an enemy of black people and their survival in the coming years. this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issue, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. You are listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media. Part of the Black Talk Radio Network for podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 820 on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation, activist organizer, secretary general of the International Committee of the Pan-Africanist Federalist Movement, Brother Jume Fay, is with us in conversation this evening talking about the uh, political situations in Senegal and some of the other African countries. You can be involved with a question or comment by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, before I go to the phones, uh, uh, Richard, um, uh, Brother Jume was talking about um, the frustration felt by young people on the continent. 
and their reaction to it. And it sounds eerily similar, Richard, yeah. to the frustration yeah. here with black youth. Mm-hmm. See, it's just like Brother a- uh, uh, Elder Amos Wilson, who's, who's made transition, just said in those clips that you heard. We're dealing with Europeans, and they're dealing with us all the same way. That same frustration that young Africans is feeling on the continent, that's what you're seeing in your neighborhoods, that same frustration. We're going to have to deal with this as a people. The solution is global. It's not in my neighborhood. The solution is global. We got to get involved. Now, before I, let me read this, and I want you to kind of confirm or deny what I'm about to read. Uh, uh, Brother Jumay, and then we'll go to the phones because some of these people have been waiting patiently. This came from a couple of published reports here, and I would just want to read some of it. It says, France have been holding the national reserves of 14 African countries since 1961. Burkina Faso, Benin, Guinea-Bissau, Ivory Coast, Mali, Niger, Senegal, Togo, Cameroon, the Central African Republic, Chad, Equatorial Guinea and Gabon. The monetary policy governing such a diverse aggregation of countries is uncomplicated because it is, in fact, operated by the French Treasury without reference to the central fiscal authorities of any of the CEMAC. Under the agreement, under the terms of the agreement, which is set up by these banks, the central bank of each African country is obligated to, to keep at least 65% of its foreign exchange reserves in an operational account held by f- the French Treasury, as well as another 20% to cover financial liabilities. So that's 85% of the money that's coming out of the African countries going to France, the Francophone countries. France France has the first right to buy any natural resources found in the land of its ex-colonies. It's only for, if it's only after France say I'm not interested that African countries are allowed to seek other partners. A French language and culture dissemination organization have been created called Francophonie with several satellites and affiliate organizations supervised by the French Foreign Ministry. Uh, to disseminate language and culture throughout the Francophone countries. On June uh, of 2019, Ericana Chinabor Aquayo, former ambassador of the African Union uh, to the United States, uh, said that France takes over $500 billion from Francophone countries a year based on a a pact they forced these countries to sign before they were granted independence. She made these remarks in the presentation, the Pact for the Continuation of Colonization, uh, and is known to have strong views towards France colonization in Africa. Ericana Chinabor Choir was fired by the African Union on November 1st, 2019, for her criticism of France. In 2028, West African countries belonging to West African Economic and Monetary Union, uh, that's Benin, Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, Guinea-Bissau, Mali, Niger, Senegal, and Togo 
As a part of the agreement, France would, France would no longer be represented on the government bo- governing bodies of these African central banks, and member states will no longer keep half of their foreign reserves in France. Uh, Brother Jume, uh, mm-hmm. before we go to any callers, these things that I just read, are they accurate? First of all, allow me to say uh, hello to my sister Nobantu and Koanda, you know, all the way from Atlanta listening to us. She's the General Secretary of the Regional Coordinating Committee for North America of the Pan-African Progress Movement. A wonderful sister that I really appreciate a lot. You say, Nobantu, hello, how are you? Uh, you know, what you read to me, my brother, you know, is very interesting, Okay. It's very interesting. But, you know, uh, when you're fighting uh, something, fight it, fight it at the systemic base of it. Don't fight it on a reformist, from a reformist perspective. The issue of the CFR is not very complicated. Some people don't understand it and say all kinds of things. The reality where we have a CFR, you know, is that because Senegal does not have the credibility to have a currency that is accepted on the international markets. Burkina Faso doesn't have that. That was the purpose of making these countries so small that they won't gain enough credibility in order for others to think that if I, you know... uh, if I sell my, let's say, my, my car to a Senegalese and they pay me with CFR, if I come back, the Senegalese money, if I come back in a year, I will be able to get the equivalent of that car at that time in something else. You know, Senegal cannot pay its debt if it had its currency with its currency, it pays that with its money. Okay. So what, what do these countries do? They rent the French francs for two things. One is to buy and sell, you know, products on the international market and to pay their debts. France, when you're renting somebody's place, you know, they're the one who determine how much it will cost. <laughs> you don't determine how much the apartment costs. Okay. Yeah, you could have you could have a tenant movement to reduce the cost, but it won't be only you know, a, a reduction of the rent. You don't owe nothing. You're renting, you know. Now, what, instead of, you know, taking those tenant group, you know, and saying, okay, you know what, let's put in five years, ten years money each year and build our own building so we don't have to rent. And we can even have extra room to rent other people, you know. You're saying, no, you know, I'm going to be focused on only criticizing all the rent, this is not fair and all of that stuff. Instead of wanting... You know that you have the capacity, you know, to put money aside. Africa has resources. Yes. And this is what Marcus Garvey was calling for. This is what Kwame Nkrumah was calling for. This is what all the move, the Pan-African fellows move. Put your countries together, make one country, create one empire on which the sun never set and have the best currency in the world that everybody will be accepted. You won't have to rent France's money. You don't have to rent the dollar. You don't have to tell the World Bank, you know what, just follow my money, serve it, you know, please, you know, like Nigeria and others do, Ghana, and, you know, fluctuating thing. 
on the market. You cannot even buy things on the international market on it, you know. So, friends, what it does, okay, I will lend you, you know, I will rent you the French franc because we are not really renting euro. We're renting the French franc, you know. You know, we're, I will rent it to you, but this is what it will cost. Take or leave. You know, <laughs> what do you want? That's the fund- fundamental problem of the currency in in these UMA, you know, you know, you know, the Monetary Union of West Africa or Central African Monetary Union, and it's the same problem because the countries are not fit to have their own currency, so they have to rent somebody else's money or currency in order to do international operations international transaction, whether it is paying a debt or buying oil from Saudi Arabia or something like that. Let me, uh, Richard, I know you want to jump back in, but let me get a couple of these calls that's been waiting. Mm-hmm. Let's go to 647 in Toronto. 647? Uh, yes, sir. Can you hear me? I hear you. Uh, I have a call for the, uh, a question for the caller. He's talking, the economic system that he is speaking about I assume he is talking about a non-capital, non-capitalist economic system for Africa uh, and and all African people. One, and the second question is that um, on the question of language, uh, you know, we Africans we've been uh, colonized by the you know the English, the French, the Dutch, so on and so forth. Do you feel that key Swahili? Can be used as 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 a unifying language, so we can communicate with with one another. I think a group, the uh, the Cameroon organization in the Cameroon uh, talked about uh, key Swahili being used as a language that can unify, uh, you know, black people all around the world. Uh, those are those are the two questions that I have. Thank you. Uh, May I say, or should I wait for another question? Uh, uh, no, that's... No, 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 I'm talking about it. I'm, I'm talking to Elliot. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you can go ahead, and then I'll go to the next call. You can go ahead and answer. Uh, uh, yeah, my brother from Toronto, I'm not talking about the capitalist system or socialist system or anything. I'm talking about uh, sovereignty of the African people, the right to do whatever they want with their wealth, the right not to be exploited, the right... For us, the capacity for us to not have our surplus value of our economy be siphoned and serve for the betterment of other people. I'm talking about, I don't care if it's Ali Dangote. I don't care if it's a Senegalese capitalist. To me, you know, my at least right now, you know, what I care about is that that money is not, the surplus value of the Senegalese economy doesn't go to a French person, a, 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 a Dutch person, a German person or anybody, that it goes to Senegal. Because if it goes to a Senegalese who reside in Senegal, they, it will be properly taxed. And government will have means to have social services, at least enhanced social services and infrastructure. But the surplus value is going out there. It's not being taxed by the Senegal, even though it's being produced in Senegal. It's being taxed by France, who is using it to build social services, builds infrastructures. That is... The fight for sovereignty, as far as the Pan-African Fellows Movement is concerned, is the fight for the control of our economy, 
our uh, our 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 our, 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 our political system, economical system, fundamentally. Now, how do we, you know, uh, in the, while Africa is being industrialized, you will have indeed a development of a capitalist class or whatever. You know, but when we are doing, or when we are doing the constitution of the United African State, we could say, "Oh, you know what? In America, profit is the spoiled brat of government. So in Africa, we don't want to do that. Hmm. We want social programs to be the spoiled brat of, of government. Hmm. So anyone doing anything, it has to be measured by." the impact on social life, the impact on the environment, the impact on many different things before, but we we're not going to give you a profit making billions of dollars while our, our, our environment is being crumbled, while people are sleeping on the street. Hmm. You know, The government can do that in a constitution, but the U.S., what is important is profit. Profit has the, the, the spoiled brats of this country, <laughs> and that is indeed what is one of the big problems of America. You know, and in France, and but we in Africa don't have to do it like that. We could make social programs the spoiled brat of the government of the African people, by the African people, and for the African people. And before you see, there should not be anyone who, who goes to hungry. There should be a minimum income guaranteed to anyone. You know, whether you have a job or not. You know. You know, that doesn't mean people will not seek for work because people, African people want dignity. They would find some work. They would want to do work. They would not want to just sit down, you know. And government could reorganize all that so that, you know, yes, people who need to work will work. Otherwise, it will be cut in a certain way. But if you are not in a situation where you can't find work, that you don't have to be homeless. You don't have to lose your home. You don't have to lose your health care. All of that, an African federal government could do that, you know. In terms of the language, my brother, I don't get into the discussion of the issue of language because it's a dividing factor. See, the language of the person is their identity. No, I was saying that in terms of uh, a language that can unite us as a people. You see, I will leave it next, you know. Let me just put it this way. I leave it to the Congress or to the Constitution when Africans, once Africans decide to unite their country, I leave it to the Constitutional Congress that will decide on what are we going to do to organize our republic, federal republic. That republic, since we already have unity, then that republic, those people out there, maybe you will be one of them, you know, will see, okay, this is the best thing for us to do in terms of the language issue. But you know what? Pan-African federalism is different from Pan-Africanism. Pan-Africanism, I know... It wants all African people, the cultural restoration, but that cannot be done, in my opinion, as fast as that. We have to be a little bit more patient, in a way. To The Pan-African fellows mean the restoration of our sovereignty is the number one. Number one, not class struggle, not language, not with anything else. It's chasing out the imperialists from the continent. And that can only happen if we unite our African states politically. And... You know, the reality is that, you know, uh, I think that here in America, people must know, you know, you cannot legislate the respect of black people. You cannot legislate police brutality. You know, it doesn't mean anything for the police officer who is wearing a hood, you know, when he is at home. You know, they will 
always mistreated. But what could change that is how Africa could impact a police department in somewhere, you know, in, in Louisiana or, or, or Nashville in Tennessee, you know, how a government of the African people, federal government could go to the United Nations with a veto power and say to the U.S., none of the program that you have here will pass unless those police officers are, you know, bankrupt. The police department that uh, treated a, a black person bad is bankrupt, you know. Then they start to fear you, like Michael said, Malcolm X said. They don't fear you because of whatever you are. It's because what is behind you. Hmm. And the United African state behind any black person anywhere in the world, they will be feared, just like Americans are feared when they go anywhere in the world. <laughs> you hear that, Richard? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your contribution, Toronto. You're welcome. Take care. All right. Let's go to San Mateo. Are you there? Are you there? San Mateo, California. I'm here. I'm here. I'm oh, yeah. here. Yes, this yeah. is um, Secretary General for North America for the Pan African Fellows Movement, Nobantu Ankawanda. Um, that 650 number is uh, in California, but I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, no problem. <laughs> Right. So um, I was just listening. I, I didn't have a, a pertinent question. And I'm going to say hello back to Jomai because uh, he recognized me. I didn't know people could see my name anywhere because I'm calling in, but that's all good. Um, so I'm, I'm really just listening in, but I, I do have a question with what's, what's going on with the economy in terms of <clears throat> everything as of July 1st, from my understanding your dollar bills here in America are going to become digital and uh, socialized. And I'm not sure, um, you know, when we talk about United African States, we also talk about a common currency and uh, backed by gold uh, or silver um, because of, we all know that the, the America is not backed by anything. The digital dollars that will become our dollar bills will become digital, will not be backed by anything as well. So um, I think it's important that um, the United African States have a current, a common currency um, that is backed by practically uh, gold or silver. So um, I'm not sure how many on this call are aware of what's getting ready to happen here in America in terms of what's going to happen to their dollar bills. It will be something you just put in the trash can in a minute. Because uh, when they socialize our money and tell us if you don't spend your money by a certain date, we'll freeze your account and you will not be able to utilize what money you thought you had. So um, that's just a little comment I'm going to make. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, sister, for your contribution. Uh, I mean, I don't have much to say about uh, about that. Uh, see, the issue of currency what exactly? One thing I know is that we now must have a, 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 a one currency for. I mean, the federal government will have a, a currency which will be a currency that certainly you could use anywhere in the African states. You know, whether they are in the Caribbean island or on the continent of Africa. You know, uh, you know they are used to use the dollar. Where you go to Hawaii or Guam or Puerto Rico or something like that. You know. It would be a currency like that, you know. 
Uh, I'm not a financial person in order to know whether it is these digital things and stuff. And I, one thing that I know about finance is that, you know, one thing that we don't want is to back our money with gold. Because if we back it with gold, people could take our gold away from us. What Nixon did with the gold was that it's the, the power and the, of the economy and the credibility of the country that backs fiat currency. You know, the country can print as much as it wants as long as there are people who are ready to take it in payment of debt or purchasing, you know, goods. You know, the, you know, the trust, because the value of money is a very, very subjective thing. This is why it fluctuates all the time. You know, it depends on what the impression of the people are in the country that is emitting it. Because it's a recognition of debt, nothing else. You know, we don't want the rest of the world to be coming and saying, oh, you know what, you back, you want to back your money. No, there's no one backing money with, with gold nowadays. It's finished, it's done, long time ago. You know, we will back it with the power of the economy of Africa, you know, which will allow us to print trillions of dollars, you know, as long as we believe that they will get their money back. You know, the, the money is not going to go south in terms of values. Let's go to 518. 518, are you there? That's Albany, 518 in Albany. Oh, me? Yes, sir. Oh, I didn't even know I'd put in the call. Okay, but anyway, I'm Brother Malima Kwasi Kwaya Jamsada. I'm the coordinator for North America, uh, Pan-African Fellows Movement in North America. Uh, it's good to hear my brother... Joe May, who I've been working with since 2015 when we established the Pan-African Brothers Movement uh, Regional Coordinating Committee in North America in May, shortly after the, um, the call came from Senegal in February that year. So it was always good to hear my brother. And it was good to hear my sisters, the Secretary General Nabantu, for North America. And and it's good to uh, work, be working with all of them. I didn't realize, realize I had put in to say something, but I do appreciate everything that's that Brother Joe May is saying, and I would uh, encourage people in North America who want to get involved in the Pan-African Threadless Movement to go to our website, which is, um, <clears throat> let's see, PAF, PAFN North America. Excuse <clears throat> uh, Website is PAFN. Uh, what? Yeah, I, 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 no, I, don't worry about oh, it. Here it is right here. Okay. PAFN-NorthAmerica.org. PAFN, all small case, dash, NorthAmerica.org. You could, on that, you could sign our petition. You could um, sign our, uh, you could actually sign the call. And if you want to, you could actually become a card-carrying member of the Pan-African Fellows Movement in North America. So we are building, we have two national committees, and one in the United States and one in Canada. They're going to be building a, coalition of organizations, and we're also developing local coordinating committees, so people are interested. We would encourage them, if you're inspired by what my dear brother Joe May is saying, and you want to get involved in actually making, bringing the United African States into political existence, and I'm saying hopefully by 2027, using a quote from brother Joe May back in 2022, five years, but definitely by the end of the time, by the time the sun sets on this decade of 2020. We, this is not a... Um, we intend to make the vision of Marcus Garvey and the vision of uh, 
Kwame Nkrumah in a political reality in our time. Brother Joe May and I, ancestors, are about to look forward to being in Africa sometime in this decade to see the first president of the United African States raise their hand, raise her hand to take the oath of office. So we encourage you to join us, and we carry and and thank you, Brother Joe May, for putting that, putting this word out. Uh, I wasn't planning on saying anything, but this is what, this is what I would say. So thank you very much, Asante Sanka. Thanks for your contribution, brother. Thank you, brother Amsata. You know, one of the most reliable Garveyites that I know. I have a lot of respect for him. Uh, Let's go. My brother, you see, uh, there is one thing that sometimes, like what we say, knowing what time it is and acting according to what time it is. You know, many people know what time it is. You know, but they don't act according to what time it is. Whether you are, an, if you are an African, a black person, anywhere, and you don't see the priority as, as the unification of the African state as a priority, it means that you want a maintenance of the system. You are a reformist of the system that is oppressing you, whether you are in America, in India, Australia, or South Africa. Because if we don't have power, no one will respect us. If we don't have power to demand for reparation, there will not be reparation. And let me repeat that. If we don't have power to demand for reparation, there will not be reparation. You know, you couldn't, you know, have lip services from time to time. The U.S. Congress passing a law with all the loopholes in it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Where you go to court, you have no one to sue, nothing. Oh, yeah, well, there's a law for reparation, you know. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, but if it's a United African State hitting, the law is passed, you know. We're sitting at the United Nations Security Council with the veto power. If the court in the United States don't respect the verdict that was passed by an international court in terms of reparation, then all the resolutions will be blocked. It will be a different attitude. This is why we sell without the goal, the PAFM, the Pan-African Fellows Movement, reaching its, its goal. All fights that we're doing as individual organizations are only sizes of its myths. You know, we'll go to the top of the mountain, we realize it was fake, and then we come back. And we keep coming back and back and back. I thank you, brother Amsata, for you know, for being here. <laughs> Let's go to six six two six six two six six two. Are you there? Yes, brother Elliot. Can yes. you hear me? Yes, sir. I hear you loud and clear. Yes, yes, brother Elliot. This brother Patrick Lumumba in Mississippi. How are you, sir? Uh, yes, man. I'm well, man. I'm just sitting here enjoying this powerful conversation with the very profound brother. Uh, brother Jume, very profound brother. Uh, I just have a quick comment, Brother Elliot, Brother Richard, and uh, Brother Jume. Uh, Ten years ago, I dated a Senegal lady, and uh, a lady from Senegal, I should say that. And she referred to me as a Senegal man. Now, my problem with her was that she referred to herself as a French lady. That was very perplexing to me. But it's very telling, you know, when I'm sitting here and I'm listening to the profoundness of Brother Jumei, and um, I can see, you know, where that mindset would come from. I want to thank Brother Jumei for his profound 
lessons on colonialism and the refreshing uh, reality of pan-African federalist movement. Love the idea, especially uh, with us working here diligently in Mississippi. You know, Brother Jume was talking about, you know, from the black uh, spaces in the Western Hemisphere, you know, where we deal with the same concepts here in Mississippi with predominantly black counties and trying to unify these counties to form a, an, uh, a, an aspect of political reality and political power. So, uh, you know, it's, it's so telling in a microcosm just right here in Mississippi what uh, Brother Jume is talking about across the diaspora. Even the, the, the paramount dissatisfaction amongst the African youth. Mm-hmm. That's here, right here in Mississippi. You know, uh, <clears throat> so many Africans were deposited right here in the Delta, what we call the Kush areas, here in Mississippi and Arkansas and Louisiana. And you have the remnants of that, you know, years later. You know, the dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction of the unemployment that exists here but the outstanding number of black people that can be converted to political power. So, you know, I didn't want to be long at all. I have thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and I just love the idea. Uh, I don't think we have the conversation enough. It's not uh, talked about enough. That's something that we're going to be doing with the summit, but you know, just in the historical context and thinking about colonialism, I think it needs to be brought, you know, back to the consciousness of our people. Because when I think about it and listening to Brother Jume and, and studying that I've done throughout the years, I just think about the exploitation of the mother continent. And we talk about the diamonds, the gold, the uranium, and all these different things. But I think as much as a peanut, as much as a peanut extracted from Africa, uh, exported by the Europeans, is too much wealth, you know, today. Because once that wealth is gone and circulated by the European to its benefit, it's never to return to Africa. So I just wanted to say that, man, and I think uh, Brother Jume is right on time. You know, I always say if we're not talking about the liberation of black people, then the conversation you have is not on time. So I just wanted to thank you all for continuing to have these uh, profound conversations with these profound Africans. Thank you all, man. I just want to appreciate that. I just had that comment. No question at all. I'm just taking notes. <laughs> Talk okay, to you. My brother, thank you very much. I hope that you heard Brother Amsata, and you will certainly create a local committee in Mississippi. You know, Nobantu is in charge of uh, reaching out to these people, and I'm sure that Bamo Nobantu, you probably, I don't know if you can see his number, but it would be a good idea to take it over you to reach out to this brother. Uh, the Senegalese lady who called themselves French is a lost person, you know. Many African intellectuals, continental African, try to, I will, uh, try to kind of like make themselves look French because, you know, as Biko said, <laughs> the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressor. You know, mm. it's just like when mm. uh, Malcolm X talked about the home Negro and the house Negro and the field Negro. You know, we are sick, master. We are this, we are that, you know. <laughs> you know, already ignoring mm. themselves mm. and thinking that they are, indeed, the master's life is actually, you know, mirroring their life when it is, you know, it doesn't matter. when it is, You know, if you are in chain, whether they are in diamond or gold, you are in chains. doesn't matter. You know, the Senegalese lady who thinks that he is French, 
that is the perfection of colonialism, mental slavery, mental colonialism, like you know, Mark Gabe would have said, you know, you know, and uh, you know, I appreciate your word, my brother. You know, we have to, you know, I tell people. 75% of the responsibility of our oppression falls into the African intellectuals. Let me repeat that. Whether they are in America, whether they are in America or in Senegal, in wherever they are, the responsibility of our, the oppression of our people, 75% of it falls into our petite bourgeoisie intellectual. Because they are the one serving as you know, uh, what you call it. Uh, uh, first of all, when the colonizers came, they are the one who read the treaties, knowing that these treaties are not saying what any these people are saying, you know, and agreed with them. They are the one who become the puppets of imperialism in order to make neocolonialism possible. They are the one who are drinking the crazy theory of the, the, the Western academics and saying that this is the way to develop Africa. 75, they are the one advising the government. They are the one becoming leaders. They are the one, like Jean-Paul Sartre said, who killed Lumumba. Because Lumumba decided that I don't want to be part of this intellectual petite bourgeoisie African serving as a tool to continue to oppress my people. I don't want to be part of it. They said, oh, if you don't want to be part of it, then we'll kill you. And they find somebody as crazy as Moïse Chombe to kill him. You know, so mm. the African intellectual I'm talking about here, I'm talking about on the continent, wherever they are, black people, you know, if they're not talking about a systemic reform, which means restoration of the full sovereignty of African people through the unification of the African states, they are talking nonsense. <laughs> you know, you know, brother Patrick, thanks for your contribution, man. I'll be in touch. Thank you, brother. I'll be waiting. <laughs> Talk to you. <laughs> no, just because um, what Brother Jumei said and, and, and Brother Patrick was raising, you know, giving the live example in Mississippi, is what Charles Combs said to us, what, a few weeks ago? Yeah, Charles Cobb, yes. I mean, it was the same thing that, you know, when we asked what are, what is the obstacles towards organizing that he's seen and he said that it was um brother Jermaine said it was the intellectuals and I, I i even forget but i know it was that saying he said that he they would be going up, going up against them that's what he said he said his fear uh that the, the for for our young people organizing is that they're going to face uh, a class of black people how did he put it richard he said yeah, a certain I think a class of black people who came, you know, that that were going to be the main resistance. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, the the realization of, as you said, that the the this stratification is global within us, Absolutely. and we have to, and we have to acknowledge that. Um, you see, this is this is the thing with the Pan African Federalist Movement. You know, we are a bottom-up, you know, a bottom-up, you know, march toward unity, political unity. Meaning it's the people themselves, not the leaders, who will bring about the political unification. Because the leaders, you know, if you do unity, it's because you feel like you need unity. 
in for more opportunities and more protection security the leaders already have everything that they need materially you know those who are conscious among them know that these are golden and diamond cages you know sankara you know kruma uh, and others you know they knew what that was this is why they rebelled you know they don't want to be in a golden or a diamond cage and they they want to just fly like sekuture and uh, cabral and all of those you know you know samora machel you know uh, and and all of those people steve biko you know so you see the problem here is that you know for the pan african fellows movement for unity to happen those who people will benefit from it which is the masses in harlem the masses in south la the masses in chicago the masses in dakar the masses in soweto the masses in 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 cairo the masses in sudan these people are the ones suffering the most from neo colonialism from you know uh, jim crow they are the one they are the one who need more protection and more opportunities and sovereignty which is actually a way of organized you know the uh, political unification which is a way of organizing sovereignty for the service of the people will serve really the, the people at the bottom not the people on the top you see Kwame Nkrumah his mistake or at least his you know gullibility i would say because he thought that everyone talking about unity like what happened to him in Casablanca where Nasser and them because they wanted Ghana to be a good conduct for the for the weapons going you know from the sea to Algeria and Mali and stuff you know they agreed to sign all those things with him when they you know you know what we disagree with him is that you know the issue you know sovereignty belong to the people and it's the people that will make unification happen if you offering the african intellectual leader petit bourgeoisie some sort of unity it like offering someone who have a good life telling them that you know what your gas casket will be in diamond let me bury you there now <laughs> why would you why would i want to go in a diamond casket if i'm having a good life here on earth you know especially if i'm not really ready to go to paradise here or if i know that i'm going to go to hell why would i do that <laughs> You know, that's what the thing with Kroma. You know, he thought that these people, but they don't. They don't want golden casket. <laughs> they want a car. They want some sort of kind of like power here, because you know they know they've done so many bad things that hell is probably waiting for them. You know, <laughs> you know. So, anyway, I just put it out there. Uh, Richard, uh, go ahead. No, I, I think I, I've um, because um, the only thing as I would like you to continue, you know, to develop this. Uh, well, you reemphasize the point of, and you've just done it again. The difference between Pan Africanism, because uh, you know, it's a, it's interesting because there's a lot of criticism on the continent and and here in North America that Pan Africanism would won't don't won't work. <clears throat> and you gave a. Um, you know, the formation is providing an option, you know, in relationship to Pan-African, uh, a Pan-African federal, Pan-Africanism federalist approach. Absolutely. 
organizer and making that distinction between Pan-African federalism compared to Pan-Africanism. So I, I think that, that, you know, I wanted to make sure that was, um, you know, coming across crystal clear um, because I think that that's under, it's a better understanding um, of that unification of sovereignty of the African continent mm-hmm. in the central, the central mode. Um, I, 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 not to, because I think it, it, it doesn't really address <clears throat> the point of the, the formation that's happening. But one thing that I was thinking of in relationship to the African Renaissance um, and, and I heard you make reference in relationship to language, but the cultural component, because I'm thinking of the political Islam on the continent. Mm-hmm. That, that is, um, and, and here is young people um, in the neighboring countries, Mali, right, um, who are taking on Islam and has to, you know, as a, as a way. And I think that that, and I'm going to ask this as a question. Do you think that that's a uh, uh, that would be a challenge for those who see taking on political Islam um, to Pan-African um, federal, uh, federalism? Federalism, well, I mean, approach. Uh, you know, at, uh, you know, political Islam, you know, Islam is a political religion to begin right. with. Right. It's a political religion which was devoid of its real content because Islam, in fact, was supposed to be sort of kind of close to socialism. Right. It was supposed to be that Medina, where the prophet was, you know, the caliphate, you know. But as you know, you know, just like Christianity, you know, Islam was completely devoid of it. But even if it's a good philosophy or whatever, it is an Arab culture. Yeah. Right. That's the, it's that's... an Arab cultural development tool for me. It's an Arab cosmogony tool. It's not an African. The way that Arabs see the woman and the way that Africans see the woman are completely different, different, like night and day. Yes. When Ibn Battuta came to Mali, he could not believe that the king was laughing with a woman next to him. You know, she's now he's just like, almost like his equal. He said that country is the most peaceful. You could be walking with all your gold on your head. No one will bother you. But what, what really hurt him is that how come that these people treat women like almost men treat women like they're equal? What that, that, that's really unbelievable. You know, and nowadays you know, Islam is colonizing just like Christianity. Islam is colonization, just like culture is cultural colonization, whatever. You know, and you know, uh, the Pan African Federalist Movement. You see, every solution of the problems. You know, there is a, like they said, there is a time for laughing and there is time for dancing. There is time for crying. And therefore, time for wiping your, your tears and all of that stuff. See, the Pan-African Fellows Movement is focused on a systemic change, the restoration of the full sovereignty of African people. Now, a lot of people that are involved in politics or systemic change, they are so much in a hurry that they think, oh, yeah, change has to happen now. Change doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. 
Change is incremental by generations, not by years. In political science, we say the age of country is measured by every 25 years. Every 25 years of a human being is one year of a country. If you want to see really what the African Renaissance will look like, it will be once Africans get their full sovereignty and control their destiny, fully control their resources, a hundred years from there, you will start to see what might what African Renaissance might look like. That will be we will be long gone before that. This is why we in the PAFM we're not working just for today. We're working for generations to come too. Yes, we will have joy in witnessing the restoration of the full sovereignty of our people. We will have a lot of joy in that. But many of the you know, we will have joy also being able to see a federal government of the African people, by the African people, for the African people, provide passport and legislative representation to Africans in the diaspora in an equal manner than Africans on the continent or in the Caribbean island. We will see that to happen. We will see, you know, a massive program of industrialization, road building, airport building, everything building in Africa, which will suck all the unemployment of the youth uh, in, 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 in America, in Brazil, in, in wherever they are. Because Africa is the least indebted country on earth right now. The income, Japanese indebtedness is 250% of its GDP. U.S. is almost 150, 200% of its GDP. The indebtedness of, 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 of individuals is more than five times their income, year income. If you go to Africa, the indebtedness of, 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 of families is next to zero. The indebtedness of state is nowhere near 60%. Most countries, except a few like Sautome and Principe, or let's say Cap Verde, something like that. You know? What it mean is that when a united African state is created, it will be one of the most solvent, most solvent entity, which means that the financial market will be hungry to give them credit for even 1% or 2%. The federal government will be able to print money, create businesses, industrialization, everything is to be built in Africa. That we could witness in our lifetime. But some of the changes that have to do with culture, for example, those will take a lot longer time. And if we rush it, you know, a federal union is a very delicate thing. You have to balance things and move. Everything has to move according to, you know, the, the strength that institutions have gotten. Brother Jermaine, I want to read something, share something with you to get your perspective on it. It's 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 a little different than what we've been talking about this evening, but I think it's all related because um, in the conversation earlier, you mentioned to uh, Richard when you were talking to him about the you see the dissatisfaction of our youth and the large percentage of folks on the continent is under 25 years of age. Mm -hmm. So, and we have to kind of look at it and always be conscious of who we're dealing with because 
the people that had been our former captors don't look at us like we might look at ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I'm saying that, I want to read this, and this is something that we need to to be aware of. I don't think we have to fear anything, but as a people, we need to be aware of it. Now, mm-hmm. let, I just want to read this to you to get your perspectives, and uh, I mentioned it to to uh, to Brother Richard. Um, it's from the AFRICOM website. It's a it's a message that was posted on there. Uh, different things are posted on the site. On May third, twenty twenty one. U.S. Rear Admiral Heidi Berg, uh, Director of Intelligence for U.S. Africa Command, concluded a multi-day visit to Senegal and Mali and highlighted the U.S. Africa Command's continued support to Africa and French partners and their efforts to enhance security. Now, that's what was stated by the, uh, the leader at that time at May 3rd, 2021. Since then, a black man has taken control of AFRICOM, Langley. He took control of on August 2nd, 2022. Mm-hmm. Now, it's three things on the site there that I notice right off the bat. And I'm going to read what it states. Uh, participants from 29 countries kicked off Exercise Flintlock 2023 with opening ceremonies at four sites across Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire on March 7th, 2023. These outstations will provide unique training to include urban expeditions and a first for Flintlock maritime expeditions. The U.S. Africa Command sponsored exercises bolstered partnership between African and international military and law enforcement organizations during crises and operations to increase security and stability in the region. Now, this Operation Flintlock took place in March. Uh, It was in sites in Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire, which included urban expeditions. Here's another one. Senior military leaders from African nations as well as U.S. and European nations meet uh, to build relationships, exchange information on current topics of mutual interest, and encourage operation in addressing challenges. On May 8th to the 12th in Cote d'Ivoire, during the African Land Force Summit, the theme for this year's summit is addressing security challenges through civil military partnerships. Now, as I recall in May 8th to the 12th, that's when, um, the, the secretary of state, Richard, I forgot his name. It slips my mind was went over to Africa. Well, well, Bilkin, Bilkin, Bilkin. Exactly. Now here's the last one here. 18 nations and approximately 8,000 personnel will participate in African lion 2023. The U.S. Uh, the U.S. Africa Command's largest annual combined joint exercise that will take place in Ghana, Morocco, Senegal, and Tunisia from May 13th to June 18th. So it's in progress now. African Lion 2023 provides an opportunity to conduct realistic, dynamic. 
collaborative readiness training in an austere environment that intersects multiple geographic and functional combat commands, including U.S. Africa Command, U.S. European Command, U.S. Central Command. So we see three operations going on there in different times involving U.S., European, and certain African leaders that you have discussed earlier in the program going on on the continent. And they're discussing just what you were discussing earlier about the dissatisfaction of our youth. Now, we see here from blacks living in the United States how military forces, including the police, deal with dissatisfied black youth. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we need to keep in mind because Mm -hmm. eventually to protect European interests, whether it's France Mm -hmm. or any of the European European nations or the United States, they will use any means necessary to do it. And keep, yeah. and keep in mind, Kamala Harris, when she was over in Ghana about a month ago, restated about the the United States being aware that the population of the continent of Africa is the youngest population on Earth. So you, you had mentioned before about capturing the minds of the youth because they didn't really know what direction they wanted to go in as far as picking a government. You remember you said that, Brother Jumay? Mm-hmm. So we got the United States there that that is going to take an opportunity to give them some options to pick a government. So we got to always be aware of the of the unseen hand, so to speak, that that's moving in an opposite direction from what we want our people to move in. And I just wanted your perspective on some of those things. Well, I'll tell you one thing, my brother. Okay, anyone. Who tells you I am a country? When a country tells a country, you know what, your security is important for me. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> it's a it's a flat lie. You know, it's flat conniving. America cannot ensure Europe, France. They are not interested in the security of the peasant in Burkina Faso, who are dying by huge numbers almost every day. And uh, the frust- and one of the expression of the frustration of the African youth because of hopelessness, terrorism. Terrorism is coming from that. That's one of the cause. You don't have anything. Just like, you know, black on black crimes here is the frustration. No one wants to kill their neighbor. No one to be, want to be a gang or something like that. You know, if you could have the opportunity to have a good paying job and all of that stuff. But if you don't have any option, you know, uh, what do you want to do? You know, you start to toughen yourself up. And, you know, if a group, you know, tells you, look, you know what? Instead of you suffering here, I will give you $25,000. And you know that $25,000 could help your family for the next five years. But you will take the risk. If you die, you go to paradise, you're going to have 40 virgins waiting for you. You have nothing. And you are being offered that. Not only the money, but the illusion of of getting to paradise with 40 virgins waiting for you. You know, if you die, most people 
take it. But people take that out of desperation. They don't take it because that no one wants to die, my brother. No one wants to die, at least most people, unless people who have lost hope in life or they are mentally sick. And all. You don't get people who are happy being committing suicide, who see life, you know, uh, good good life ahead of them, committing suicide like in terms. So all of these, you know, Instead of talking about what exactly is the reason for insecurity in these countries, what is the systemic cause, you know, I don't blame them because that's not their job to look for the systemic cause of this, of insecurity in Mali, in Niger, in Burkina Faso, today in Senegal, in Guinea. That's not their job. Their job that job belongs to African intellectuals, whether they are on the continent or here in the diaspora, <laughs> like some people like Molefi Asante are doing. You know, Leonard Jeffries, Dr. Je- Dr. Garvey, and all of those people who are serious intellectuals, who are serious African, Pan-Africanists. I'm talking about Pan-Africanists, serious Pan-Africanists looking for the good of black people, doing that kind of research, you know, like John Kindly Clark did, like others, you know. So, Instead of looking at the structural cause, they are telling you we're going to just address the symptoms. If you have malaria, and the person, was, uh, two of the, some of the symptoms of the malaria is are headaches, and high fever, and hallucination. If somebody is giving you pills for against the hallucination, against the high temperature, or against the headache the mining headache, without looking for the cause of malaria, the plasmodium falciparum or salvidum cervix, you know, they are, they, they are, they, they are just, they, they are, they, they're not, they're not being honest with you. You know, the symptoms of this insecurity, insecurity is one of the symptoms of the systemic problem in Africa, in many of the, not many, in these African countries. The relegation to the fight over the crumbs left behind by the imperialists. Mm-hmm. And, and the accommodation to that, thanks to our intellectuals who are saying, oh, yeah, that's where you're getting us, you know, reduce the number of kids you have, you know, let's get more military here and there when you know that that's or, or more practice with the American military. If they ask Afghanistan, what concern the U.S. have about the security of country? They will find the answer to the question. You know, what did they do? Are they in Afghanistan now? No. Are they in 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 in, in Iraq now? No. You know, they're not concerned with their security. They're concerned, like you said, with the protection of their interests and the maintenance of the new colonial system. The maintenance of the neo-colonial system, that's what their concern is. Today, America felt that they lost the, the economic battles for this new scramble for Africa to China. So they're going towards security, you know, to say, oh, you know what, we could give you security. We're not going to give you those loans, you know, because the democracy, you don't have whatever, you know, but we could help you with security. If you really think that a country doesn't deserve loan because of their system, why are you helping them with security? <laughs> you know, what kind of logic is that? You know? So it's a systemic problem. And, and you know, we are gullible, many of us. I don't know. 
it's not sometimes it's not gullibility where it's selfishness of the intellectuals selfishness because they want to pat on the back of, uh, of, of 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 academia in the west they want you know these medals you know you know which mean nothing because you're going to die and leave them here <laughs> you know but if you change your country why do we talk about garvey today why do we talk about Malcolm X? Why do we talk about Freddie Hampton? Why do we talk about Vessel Denmark? Why do we talk about all these people? It's because they're invested in their eternity. And as long as the effect of what they were fighting for, you know, will be sort of kind of felt or, you know, people will look back at history, they will, you know, they will be proud that they did what they did. And the Pan-African Federalist Movement is calling people into that level of consciousness. We are in a revolutionary, you know, mission. We are almost, I could say, we are remaking what Narmer, who united, you know, Lower and Upper Egypt and created that first big African empire. That's what we're doing now with the Pan-African Federalist Movement. And we're calling everyone who really are sick of tired, sick and tired of drinking Coca-Cola, you know, complaining about, you know, uh, police brutality and all of that, to come and join us. We don't want you to leave your organization. Keep your organization. Come with us. Let's work together on something. Let's go on a Congress together and find compromise on how to move forward to free us from drugs, to free us from youth hopelessness, crime, uh, black on black crime, you know, police brutality, unemployment, and all of that stuff. You know, we are going to be the makers of our future, not other people discussing how they could secure us more. I have to be foolish to think that or to, or to believe it. Let's go to 215, our, our last call. 215. It's good evening, Brother Elliot. Good evening, Brother Richard. Good, good evening, Brother Jermaine. How you doing? I'm doing fine, my brother. Uh, praise be to Allah. You know, Brother Jermaine, you know, early in the show, when you was talking about the United Africa, you know, and, and that's always been my goal because, you know, as a student of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad in the nation of Islam, you, know, you ever seen the old Muhammad speech that Brother Malcolm had helped co-found the, the Muhammad Speaks newspaper. You see a picture of the brothers you know, reaching across Africa, you know, Africa and Asia. And that's what it's all about, that, you know, uniting Africa. You know, that was the, that was the vision of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Marcus Garvey, Kwame Nkrumah, you name it. That's their vision because even now you see now, Brother Jumei with, you know, with China and Russia and all these countries in Africa, and, that, you know, dealing, doing business with people like that is one thing. But like you said, we got to control it, you know, because like you said, we're only going to become a respected people when we control Things, not being just a consumer, but we can't let nobody control it and stuff. And that's why it's so important that we strike out and speak out and, and stop things like Africaan in its tracks because we know as long as they're around, they're a definite threat to Africa's you know, true independence. So we have got to do what we have to do to make sure that they you know, don't 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 keep gaining traction in Africa, you know what I mean? Because we really want the continent to be truly free with all the countries in Africa and when the continent united, then that definitely has to be our uh, our goals and stuff like that, you know? And, and you know, and also, too, um, uh, uh, Brother Jimmy, I must say this, as a Muslim, I must say this. See, 
this is why I tell people all the time, I have no problem because I've met Muslims from all around the world and stuff, from, from Africa, from you know Saudi Arabia, Morocco, you name it. And see, that's why I probably tell them I'm a student at Abu Lai Muhammad because one thing about the nation of Islam version of Islam, we promote the woman. See, a lot of these brothers, they, they're claiming that they're true Muslims. They don't even follow the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, because he, he, he anywhere in the Quran it says, uplift your your woman, don't oppress your woman, treat your woman right. Your woman is is is, is, is your equal and everything. But see, a lot of these brothers got their own twisted version of Islam. Because I tell people all the time, brother Jermaine, and when I see some crazy stuff that some of these brothers do over there, like when they shot the sister, the young sister over there in Pakistan and wanted to go to school, you know, when I see some of the stuff blowing up the mask is and stuff. I said, if that's their version of Islam, if that's the so-called true Islam, then they can keep it because anybody that's a true Muslim wouldn't do this kind of crazy stuff that some of these brothers and stuff do over there. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Because, again, all you got to do is look at their book, the, the book where they claim that they follow the Quran. It doesn't condone none of that kind of crazy behavior and stuff. Because, like I said, the woman is, is, is highly respecting Islam. Like I said, when a, um, and you look at Jesus' mother Mary, she's mentioned more in the Quran then uh, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, because that's how much respect that, that, that Muslims are supposed to have for the woman and for, and, for, and for Jesus' mother Mary, you know what I mean? So these brothers, like I said, when you see some of the stuff going on, you always got to be careful to make sure you separate their, their sick, perverted version of Islam as opposed to what true Islam is about, because in the nation of Islam, we elevate the woman. You know, some of our brightest minds in the nation, the sister we just lost recently, Sister Ava Muhammad, she was one of the Minister Farrakhan's most trusted people. You know, she's a lawyer. I mean, brilliant woman, man, could, 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 could hold her on with any man out there. You know what I mean? So why would I want to compress that kind of knowledge? Man, this woman, it's like a, a, a ray of light on the world. You know what I mean, know what I mean Brother Jermaine? So, again, mm -hmm. you know, these brothers, some of these brothers and stuff, again, they have, they have a straight, twisted version of Islam, and they do and they do a damage to Islam when they, when, they, when, they, when they do the kind of things that they do because they give people a, 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 a notion of Islam as being oppressive towards women when it's when it's totally opposite of that. You know what I mean? So, you know, I just wanted to, 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 to make that point. But I but again, I'm with you because, like I said, uh, I want to see a true. I truly want to see a united Africa because, like I said, I get so tired of the, you know the, the corruption that goes on when 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 the United States pick their hand pick flunkies over there in Africa, and when you get good brothers rise up, like you said, like Patrick, like you said, um, the, uh, brother. Um, uh, Petra, what's the brother that they, they killed over there? Yeah, mix his name. His name escapes me. I'm having a senior moment, brother Jermaine. Uh, the one that they killed back in '61, brother. Uh, you know. Are they Hampton? No, no. Uh, you know, the, the beautiful brother. He was killed by, the, from the, the one from uh, uh, from the Congo. Uh, oh, Mulumba. Your picture, your picture, Lumumba, yeah, brother Lumumba, and, and, and other, you know, like-minded people like that. When they, when they, when they, when, it, when people like that rise up and they want to, you know, really unite our people, they they get they they put these little black flunkies in power. United States, Israel, you know, the the, the whole European hierarchy. They 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 put people out in place that they, they either if they don't stabilize these these brothers, they kill them and stuff. You seen what happened over there with with with, with our brother over there and. And, and the, the, the Maurice Bishop over there and stuff when they did when they killed Maurice Bishop. See anybody that's the, that that they want to come up and, and really liberate our people and stuff, whether it be Maurice Bishop, Patrick Lumumba, any of these brothers that really love our people, Steve Biko. I mean, you just go. The list goes on and on. They always, you know, try to destabilize if they can't outright destabilize and overthrow them. They kill them and stuff. And this is why we have to be very vigilant to make sure that if we ever want to see a true united Africa, which I should it should be the vision of all our people, brother Jermaine. We have to make sure that we we keep that that white European influence out of there and, and, and make sure that we keep their, their black lackeys 
you know, make sure that they don't become a threat and everything. Because I, because like you, I dream for that. I, live, I, I pray to Allah every day that it's a united Africa. Because like you said, we don't, if we as black people in America can't see that's what that we have, then something wrong with us. We saying that we truly love our people and that we want to see our people move forward. The continent has got to be united. It has to be united. It's no if, it's no if, ands, or buts about it, Brother Jumei. It has to happen. It has to happen. And I know with brothers like yourself that's committed, it's going to happen. It's going to happen one day. So I don't know. I can't, you know, timeline, but I believe in my lifetime it's going to happen. I'm 61 years old, and I pray to God that I can see it happen, you know. And I just want to thank you, Brother Jumei, for doing what you're doing, brother, and keep on, you know, putting the, putting the, 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 the word out there and keep on fighting the struggle and keep educating our people and lighting especially our youth because they're the future and try to, you know, get this, plant that seed in our people so it can become a reality, Brother Jemay. And and thank you, Brother Elliot and Richard, for letting me express myself and I'll listen for the rest of the show. Elliot, put me on mute. Thank you for your contribution. You're welcome. All the credit really is to Elliot and Richard. Elliot particularly who is out to me. I'm only here because he invited me to talk. He could have looked at my article and said, oh yeah, who cares? You know, the credit is to him to reach out to me, you know, to give me a voice, give you all a voice here to have a conversation on what to do with the situation, of, or with our own situation. So he is really you do on uh, When it comes to religion, I the Pan-African Fellows Movement doesn't deal with issues concerning religion. You know, we really don't deal with issues concerning political parties because you know whether you are a Muslim, a Catholic, a Jew or whatever you are in Africa, where if you are a black person, black man or woman, your dignity, you know, the respect that is due to you as a human being is not going to be restored until the power that was wrestled out of our hands. I'm not going to say stolen wrestled out of our hands for many reasons, you know, is restored. The power to control our destiny. Unless that is restored, you know, or, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, when the people see when a police officer see you, he doesn't see how much money you have in the account. He doesn't see whether you are Muslim or Christian. He doesn't see whether you are a lawyer or just a janitor. They don't care. It's the skin. And that skin color will be a curse as long as I'm talking about in a certain way because it's a blessing, you know, in in many different ways. But politically, it will be a curse as long as you won't have the tools to make other people respect it. And that is a united African state, you know. You know, we don't discuss religion because religion is very close to people's believing is believing. You know, <laughs> there is no really rationale about it. Is you believe and that's it. You know? you know. So for us, we are very narrow minded. Like uh, Brother Amsata always says, our goal, our target is very narrow that we're aiming at. But the impact of our hit will be massive. Okay. Because a united African state will change the world completely changed the world more than anything else has happened before. The only thing you could compare it is, you know, when Narmer reunited the southern, the, the lower and upper Egypt and provide human beings with an administrative tools of, you know, of, of, of urban 
you know, urban uh, organizations. Hmm. Hmm. Brother, Brother Jermaine, listen, you wanted to give me credit, but I'm going to pass the, the baton to Brother Richard. It's, it's uh, it, you know, <laughs> Brother Richard. No, no, I just, um, I just think that, you know, as you say, we're, I just love that you mentioned African Renaissance and uh, always, as I started earlier saying that, uh, um, and you, and you also mentioned about bringing the two, the two gnomes, the Southern gnome and the Northern gnome of Kemet together in that 12th dynasty. And again, again, at the 25th dynasty. And that's what, um, Baba uh, Carruthers, when he was saying the, you know, Winnie Masu, the repetition of the birth was that the Renaissance, the African Renaissance to go back to the beginning, to go back to where we, um, uh, were centered in only our Africanness. And our African ways of knowing, our African ways of doing, our African ways of creating, um, utilizing science to, uh, in our relationship to even build um, kingdoms or social relationships, organizations. So um, what I'm hearing the Pan-African Federalist um, movement and being about looking at the continent from that vantage point, I'm just, it, it, it just um, made sense. And, and, and it builds on so much of what all the guests we had and all the dialogue we have here on Time for Awakening. So I'm just, uh, I'm glad you were able to, you know, share um, the project. I mean, hey, Ella, getting 800 people together from 60 countries ain't no little, ain't no, I don't think it's a little task. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know about y'all. Uh, but I don't think that's a little task. I don't know what the communication network was, you know. And if it was based off of people already being prepped that this is necessary so that you only had to put out the call, it does say something about this moment. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. You know, absolutely. If there's the readiness, the conditions are ripe for a systemic change for African people. When I talk about African people, I'm talking about the Africans on the continent, black or white, right. or black people throughout the world. That's what we, when we say African, that we what we mean, African of the blood, which is you and I, black. As long as you're black man, you are an African, an African of the soil. If you reside on the continent, we can't kick you out. You are there. You are an African. That's it. Doesn't matter what you call it. One thing that I wanted to say about the Pan African Federalist Movement is that you know. We make it our duty to save the Homo sapiens. Mm. The Homo sapiens was born in Africa. But the Homo sapiens, because prophet has become the king, the king in the world that dominated the rest of the world, which is the West, and created slavery, created colonialism, you know, created today uh, a jeopardy of the environment, you know. No humanity, you know. The Homo sapiens friend that has developed is devoid almost of humanity, Rational, rationalizing your wants and your your wants is what is really fundamental to them. Africa does, African people don't operate like that. You know, so we... Only a united African state could save the Homo sapiens because, number one, we don't have to be, we don't have to be imperialist. 
In order to be MPs, you have to go look, go be, need to go look for resources from somebody else. <laughs> we don't need to look, <laughs> go outside and colonize or, or dehumanize people to get resources. They are under our feet, all over. Africa is the least irrigated continent on earth and the most arable land. The other day I was having a discussion with uh, some Cameroonian friends, and they were, were talking about uh, you know, uh, population. I said, if you look at South Korea, it's about, you know, it's about 50 million people. Cameroon is about 30 million people. Cameroon is eight times the size of South Korea. So in order to have Cameroon close to the level of occupation of, the Korean, of South Korea, instead of being 30, people, 30 million people, Cameroon have to be 240 million people in order to have the same level of occupation of South Korea. And you're telling me about overpopulation. You know? Africa is the only, actually, a United African state has the duty to save humanity because we are the only place on earth where electricity come, can come from the sun and illuminate the whole world, all the needs of energy. Of the world, I'm not talking about solar energy, eolian uh, 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 energy. I'm not talking about you know uh, dams. I'm not talking about anything. And you have mighty rivers that could produce all the need of you know most of Africa. We will have the opportunity. The United African State Capital, which I hope will be called Ubuntu, we have the opportunity to create the first capital city on Earth functioning on, on solar energy or natural uh, natural uh, energy. We can open the way for the end of fossil fuel, you know, fossil fossil fuel uh, uh, energy that is destroying the ozone layer. We, only we have that capacity. So a United African state is not just saving African people, that is a, it's saving humanity, the homo sapiens, you know. So we have a lot of, we brought the homo sapiens on earth. We need to save the homo sapiens. Hmm. And we can't do it if we don't have a united African state. We brought religion to bring some peace, you know, with Akhenaton and Nefertiti. We brought religion, you know, on earth. Taught Moses, who was one of our apostles, our, the apostles of uh, Akhenaton, to create uh, a religion uh, later on somewhere else, you know. We have that responsibility. We've been distracted, you know, to the point of losing sight of what our real responsibility is. And we, that destruction can only end if we restore our full sovereignty as a people to a united African state, which is the sole goal of the Pan-African Federalist Movement. Brother Jimmy. Before we leave tonight, I want you to give out all the information that you want to let the people know how they can get in contact, how they can uh, get involved. Uh, the brother did give the website, but I know you probably want to give all those things again. Go ahead. Adam Sata, could you give them the website? Are you still here? Oh, no, you know what? He's He's gone. Uh, he's gone because he's, he's still connected, though. I can see him. He is? Your, your microphone is muted, Adam Sata. Oh, okay. Well, let me, let, no me, let me grab him back. Hello? Yes, sir. Hello? Oh, okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, having this show. It's very, really been very beautiful. And thank you, Brother Jomay, for pushing forth our Pan-African Federalist Movement. 
uh, as you always do so brilliantly. Um, the number for to get involved with the Pan-African Fellows Movement in North America, I would invite you to go to our website. I would really encourage you to do that because there's a number of different things on the website, uh, articles, but also the opportunity to um, to, to become a, a card-carrying member, an opportunity to sign the call, the opportunity to um, sign our petition, and it also links to the global website. So there's links to other websites on there. The website is... Uh, www.pafm, all small letters, dash northamerica.org. P-A-F-M dash northamerica.org. That's it. I say it again. P-A-F-M dash northamerica.org, all more case. And the official phone number for the Pan-African Fellows Movement in North America is, you could, you could uh, text or WhatsApp or or leave a message or, or whatever, but the number is um, 518-649-7798. That's the official number for the Pan-African Fellows Movement in North America. And again, as Robert Joe may explain, uh, North America is one of the nine regions of the Pan-African Fellows Movement. There's a region in the Caribbean, there's a region in Latin America, and on the continent, we have our corridor of victory, which includes uh, West Africa, Central Africa and East Africa, and then there's also Southern Africa, Northern Africa, and Europe. So there's nine regions in North America, which includes the United States. There's close to 50 million people in the United States and close to 2 million in Canada. It includes that, those two countries specifically. But we are part of a global movement, and our goal, as Brother Joe May has, has put forth so soundly, our sole mission, the reason for our existence, is to bring the United African States into political existence. And we're not talking about sometime far distant future. I mean, Garvey talked about it over 100 years ago and Kuma more than 60 years ago. We expect to see it happen in this decade. So, I welcome, so again, thank you. Asante Sana, everybody, and um, welcome to the Pan-African Fellows Movement. Brother, thanks for your contribution. And uh, the sister Numbantu, thank her also. Peace. Uh, brother Elliot, thank you very much. appreciate your invitation. You know, free the land, free the people. Well, Brother Jermaine, this won't be the end now. I'm going to be reaching out to you. You come on periodically. Let us know things <laughs> going on. Because, okay. listen, things are changing all the time on the continent. And we see these things happening <laughs> yeah. at any time. An, another situation can, can uh, arise where the young people are dissatisfied. This is going to keep happening. Absolutely. And it's moving Absolutely. in the, it's moving it's moving in the direction that uh, you and the call has been talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll be in touch Absolutely. with you. You are you are, you know, communication is fundamental for change. If you can't communicate, you cannot create change. People have to know that there are others who are mobilized, ready to mobilize like them in order to go and do that. Tahrir Square in Egypt happened because of communication, you know. And the radios like yours, the programs like yours are crucial, quintessential. You know, we don't use bullets. We use antennas like yours in order to bring about revolutionary change. Thank you, brother. And we'll, we'll talk to you soon. We'll be, we'll be right back to you and the program. I just want to add one thing if I can. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Go ahead, sister. Uh, 
every first Friday on Brother Oshie's show for Time for Awaken, uh, we have a Pan-African Federalist Movement representative every first Friday on Brother Oshie's show. I just wanted to make sure people knew that. All right. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. You're welcome. First Friday. Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. The Digital Plantation, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global commit to you black family. To join your interconnected commit to you black communities. Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we are getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith 
for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about non-segregation, as people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism, do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of the time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Ralph Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Marian Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Don't let anybody take your manhood. For an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's uh, 9.52. We're winding down the program. I want to thank our guests for this evening that shared 
valuable information for our listening audience, activist organizer and secretary general of the International Committee of the Pan-Africanist Federalist Movement, Brother Juma Faye was with us this evening in conversation. Richard. Yes, yes. Great conversation. A lot of valuable information uh, uh, given tonight on this particular subject, and I hope everybody benefited. Yep. And, I, you know, as as uh, we're closing out, the thought came to me because, you know, today is the day of, um, you know, to recognize, you know, what Adunde is, the celebration of the first fruit, where the gathering of all the, you know, what people have collected over the years. And, and I just thought that this conversation as far as of creating a power nexus in a federated um, state, continental state, is the recognition of that, you know, what we need to go into next year of developing, right? I mean, that's, that's the, you know, when you, you when, I, I'm no farmer, Elliot. Matter of fact, I only, I got to go out there and cut the grass. So put them, <laughs> I'm putting them ghetto trees out there. But, um, it, you know, just the recognition of us being able to be about something where we know we're going to come together um, and celebrate. And that one moment, I'm, I'm glad um, Brother um, Jamokos mentioned about from one generation to the next, that that's just one that's just one day, that's one year, you know, a generation which is about 25 years, so that we can be able to pace this process. Um, I think it's, like, really important for us to carry in the new year and to have that the Ifor Adunde the uh, Orisha Oshun water, which they tell us our bodies what ninety eight percent water. The connection of the fluid, you know, um, when he said that about the whole question of what makes us human, and that this process that we're engaged in and been engaged in since the Great Disruption or Maafa is about the survival of what it is to be human because they're coming up with a whole lot of things. Viruses they creating, robots they creating, AIs they creating. All of that is to eliminate humans, and here we are where we were self-created. I'll just leave it there, Elliot. I'm, I'm saying all that to be pleased in this day, in this moment, and in this this, this discussion. This charge. <laughs> Yeah, before we leave, before we leave this evening, just want to uh, give the lineup one time for an awakening meeting Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. African perspectives with Brother Oshi always interesting topics and dialogues on African perspectives. That's Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, eleven a.m. to one p.m. Uh, later on in the week on Thursday, seven to eight, Mississippi on the move, Brother Patrick Lumumba, and the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi on Friday. Time for an awakening is back from eight until. And on Saturday, from 7 to 9, the Elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James. And then Sunday, time for an awakening is back from 7 until. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Sunday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) Oh, you watching?